In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, maybe you remember from your Western civilization course or your world civilization course, or kids, if you're, you haven't had that class yet, you will someday probably have something like that. Maybe you'll remember from that class, um, maybe you'll remember Babylon that was a world power about 600 years before B.C., um, maybe you'll remember even Nebuchadnezzar as a name, as one of the kings of the, the, actually the greatest king of that empire, of the Babylonian empire. And maybe you'll even remember that ancient military tactic where they would, uh, an army, instead of doing a full frontal attack on a city, a walled city, which was very dangerous and very costly for an army because they could throw things, they, that, that took forever to break down the wall. What they simply started to do in the ancient world was you'd take an army and you'd surround the city and wait it out until it starved, until the people inside went insane, or until they surrendered, or until they did all of the above. And that's exactly what happened in 605 B.C., in Jerusalem. See, this had been a long time coming. Um, the nation of Israel had been slowly been whittled away. It was, it, was a, it was a sovereign nation, a powerful nation, even a thousand years before, be, before Christ B.C., under the rule of King David, King Solomon. They expanded their borders and, uh, all, to include all of what's modern-day Israel, even parts of Syria, modern-day Syria. And over time, they lost wars, and over time, they had civil war. They, they, they divided into the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And then years before this happened with the Babylonians, the northern kingdom fell. And half of the, half of the nation went into exile. And then slowly over time, they were just whittled away by war after war after war until finally they were down to just the walled city of Jerusalem was the only bastion left of a whole entire nation. And in 605, those walls were breached, and Nebuchadnezzar went in. These are the first verses, the very first verse of the book of Daniel, which is going to be our guide for the next few weeks through this series. And actually, we're going to go a little low-tech on this series because we're reading through a lot of Scripture and so I want you to bring your Bibles. If you own a Bible, bring it next week or next time we have Gather Church. If you don't, on the ends of the rows here on the inside, there are a few Bibles. If you want to grab one of those and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's on page 416, I believe is the start of Daniel. If you want to use your phone, I won't judge you. I don't, I, I'll just assume you're not texting or surfing the internet. It's cool. <laughs> Feel free to pull out your phone, pull out whatever you want, whatever Bible you want to follow along, because we're going to kind of dive into it. Daniel 1, the very first verse, page 416. And once you get there, we'll, we'll start reading, pick up where I left off. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, this is verse 2, Daniel 1, verse 2, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God, that is Nebuchadnezzar, his God, in Babylonia. And he put in the, uh, and put in the, treasures, the, in the treasure house of his God. God. There is absolutely, I, I was trying to think of it this week, there is no modern parallel to what just happened in these three verses. There's no way to explain the severity of what happened. I mean, we can maybe understand the terror of an army surrounding a city and, and how horrible that would be, and to watch loved ones starve and die, like we could maybe see into that. But the cultural implications of what happened to the temple of God are just lost on us. I mean, even, even here, even this church, like if somebody took over this church, <laughs> as cool as this is, as sacred of a place this is to us, right? For those of you, we've been here for all, three plus years, and it's, this is an office building that's become a sacred place for us, right? And yet losing this place would be nothing like what the Jewish people lost with the temple when the temple was breached, when the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. is like nothing that we can understand. And, he, and it says that Nebuchadnezzar went into the temple and took some of the articles out. He, he, not only did they breach the walls, not only did they go into the temple, the temple had areas where Gentiles could go and, and areas where Gentiles could not go. People who were not Jewish could not enter certain areas. And even within those certain areas, there was, place, there was places that normal people couldn't go, that only the priests could go. And then there was, within those areas, there was even one area called the Holy of Holies that only one priest could go, the high priest, once a year. This is, I mean, this, the idea of sacred is just lost on us. There is nothing in our lives this sacred as the temple was to the Jewish people. And in marches to the very center of it, Nebuchadnezzar, and he starts to go souvenir shopping. It, it, it's unreal. He starts grabbing things. Hey, that looks cool. Look, gold. Oh, look, this. And what does he do with it? How, how many of you have ever gone to, to like a, a town, a touristy town, and got something cool from it? Like a snow globe? <laughs> or, you know, like a piece of a rock or, you know, like something from the area? Nebuchadnezzar marched in and took his snow globe and took it back to Babylon and it, where he had this kind of this trophy room. It says, what is it, how does it say? It says where he, he went back to and uh, carried it off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. He's got a whole trophy room of these things. You know that old adage like my dad can beat up your dad? This is the ancient equivalent of that phrase. My God can beat up your God. And we just did. And we took your stuff, and now it's ours. And it's on display next to the gods of this nation and the gods of this nation and the gods of this nation. In our God's temple, we win. That's the context. 
That's what's outlined. That's what's happened in these first three verses of this. For 500 plus years, the Israelites had lived underneath this sacrificial system, this Levitical law that God had given to them years ago under Moses that said, this is, this is our law. This is our covenant together. You're going to do this, and I will do this. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And they were able to do that with autonomy from the time of, of Moses through David through Solomon, and then things got bad, and they lost all of that. The temple that was designed by David, built by Solomon, was breached. And within a couple decades, it would be completely leveled. It would be completely destroyed. What's interesting is you can actually go to Jerusalem today. Do you know, are you familiar with the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall? That's actually the footings of this temple that was destroyed in 586 B.C. You can go touch those today that Solomon built. But the sacred was carried off like souvenirs. And, and that event, and the especially the destruction of the temple 20 years later, most Jewish people thought all was lost. Because if there is no sacred... What will happen? Without the sacred, our faith will die. Because without the sacred, how can we be set apart? That's all, it, that's all what sacred means, to make something sacred. You can make something sacred. You know, we can make Sundays sacred, not for church. We can do it for the Broncos, right? We set it aside. We TiVo it. We, you know, like we make sure we get what we need, like, and we have the right snacks. That's making something sacred. That becomes a holy time. Kids, don't talk to me right now while the game is on. It's sacred. That's what sacred is, in a sense. And we can do that with a lot of different areas of our lives. And for the Jewish people to, 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 to even imagine a religion, a, a, a form of worship that could be pleasing to God without these sacred things, without the temple, without being able to keep the law, their faith was in grave grave danger. And I'm going to make, throughout this series, I'm going to build off of this premise. I'm going to work off of this idea. It's the same for you and me. That without sacred, without sacred things in our lives, faith is almost impossible. Hold on to that thought. The assault to, uh, that would happen to the Israelites wouldn't end there. What the exiles of Israel would find out is when they got to Babylon, Babylon had a very calculated approach of integrating people into their society. Watch this. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family. And the nobility, so he, like the king, Nebuchadnezzar orders this guy named Ashpenaz, we don't know anything about him besides this, besides he's like, you know, a head guy, he's the chief of the court officials, he's like, hey, I want you to go find some Israelites that are from like the nobility, from the higher ups, the upper class in the Israelite nation, and, and we get the feeling that this was something that they did. With every nation they'd take over, they would find some of the, the most powerful people, and they said, hey, you know, grab them and bring them into the courts. Let's find out wh what they're looking for. Young men 
without, this is verse 4, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, if, there, if the SAT existed back then, they, these are people who would do well on it. These are men, young men, boys, who would get maybe like in the 30s on the ACT and an aptitude for learning. Bring them in. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Ashpenaz, I want you to teach them our ways. I want you to teach them our literature from our philosophers and our thinkers and our language. Show them, you know, I, yeah, I know it's kind of a bummer we had to kill so many of them. <laughs> Show them we're not all bad guys. Show them the splendor of Babylon. And as, as, as weird as this sounds, okay, like, like that you just watched people die. You were in, if you were in, there's a good chance that, that Daniel, who we're going to pick up here in a second, was in Jerusalem when it fell. He watched all sorts of horrible things happen. And yet, on the flip side, Nebuchadnezzar's like, that's okay, that's okay. We can, Babylon is so great, we can overcome the evils that they've seen. And honestly, during the time, this, Babylon was unparalleled. 56 miles of an impenetrable wall went around its, its main town, which would be kind of in Iraq right now, and probably pretty close to Baghdad. There was, there was, you know, like, oh, you guys had one temple? We have numerous temples to numerous different gods. We got God I, I over here and God Bell over there. Like, like you want a tour? This is maybe the most remarkable. Oh, no, the, the other thing that they had was, um, was the, 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 it's famed or fabled to maybe have the hanging gardens built by Nebuchadnezzar, which was known as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, right up there with the pyramids. These gardens that were just, how they were constructed is like, we kind of scratch our heads like, how'd they do that? That was, ne that was Babylon. That was Nebuchadnezzar. But to me, one of the things as I was researching this week, this week was they believe, we believe that they had a 650-foot tower in that city. Could, to put that in perspective, I Googled what's the, the biggest um, skyscraper in Denver. It's like 714 feet. Like, like it, they had a tower that rivaled the, the largest building in Denver in 2019. <laughs> And this is 600 B.C. Ashpenaz, give them a tour. Show them around. Put them in a chariot. Give them VIP treatment. Tell them about the literature. Tell them about our gods. Tell them about our history. Tell them about our architecture. Make them love Babylon. In fact, make them Babylonians. And that was their tactic. Was over time... Maybe not in this generation, but maybe by the second generation. If you can get the nobility, if you can get these young men, and you can win them over, and they can go back to their people and say, I know what just happened. It really sucks. But we can make a life here. And this is brilliant, this is, this is brilliant thinking on the, on the behalf of, of Nebuchadnezzar as he was trying to assimilate people, unite people, and he was going to neutral, by, by, by homogenizing the empire from end to end, 
it then neutralizes any threats of revolt. That's what he was up to, and it was potent, because Babylon was beautiful. And then they started throwing things at him, like, hey, they, they, could you catch that? Uh, oh, no, the next verse. Not only was there all the things around them, they start to, to schmooze a little bit. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from where? The king's table. Now, time out. If you just watch a bunch of your people die, an army come in and, and rip families apart, and you're shackled, probably, in like a, a whole, probably what was happening is you'd be shackled to a whole line of your countrymen and walked for 700 miles. Do you think what awaits you is king's food from the king's table? Oh, you're thinking like, oh, I, I'm going to be at a, I'm going to be at a gold mine. I'm going to, I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, one day the shackles come off. And you get ushered in, and you're like, hey, and if somebody's like, you want, you want to, you look kind of like, need a new pair of clothes. You want some new clothes? Yeah, I'd love some. You look, are you hungry? And it's not just food. It's the king's food. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from, from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Think of this. You've gone from absolute terror and all of a sudden, you're getting a, a tour around Babylon. And literally, I feel like the key phrase could be, welcome to better. Welcome to Babylon. You know, like that could be like the sign outside of Las Vegas, you know? Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, however. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. Okay, so catch this. First, they're taken from their homes. They're separated from their families. Their culture is being stripped away from them. And now, your very name. You see this? Can you feel this? They're, 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 being, like they're being brainwashed. And honestly, there's a lot of depth of meaning in these names. They're Hebrew names to these Babylonian names. Daniel's, Daniel's name is, I forget Daniel's exact name, but it, it's something to God. Daniel, El is Elohim, the short for Elohim. He's, he has a Hebrew name. He has a, a Yahweh name. And instead, they give him Belteshazzar, which means it's, Bel was one of their gods, and it's Bel save the king, basically, or God, Bel, protect the king. I mean, it was such a Babylonian name. This is actually the same name that um, um, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson had. Like, Daniel, we're going to give you a good name. You, his grandson has this name. You share the same. We're going to call you Belteshazzar. See the wooing? You see they're trying to make, like, they're trying to put them in this current, this stream that would take them away and make them Babylonian. But think of how easy it would be to just let that happen. Think of how tempting it would be. Daniel, you, you've kind of won the lottery here. This could be a lot worse, right? You can imagine, how would other refugees in this situation react when they get to that king's table? They're like, sweet! But we're going to see here in a second that Daniel, something doesn't sit right with him. 
But how do, you, how do you maintain faith in a scenario like that? How do you not lose sight? I feel like it would be impossible to remain set apart, to keep things sacred. And yet, what we're about to find out is these young men, and, and, and here's the thing. I just actually taught this to, to some campaigners kids, some Young Life kids on Thursday night here. We've, we've been partying for like days here. It's been awesome. Um, and I told them, guys, listen to me. What, what we're about to read, if you're, if you're a student in the room, look at me. They're, based on what we know here, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're about your age. They were 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, young men. And what we're about to see is truly remarkable because they are able to maintain faith. They're able to somehow stay set apart despite this insane current to move them away. And what's cool is, what we're going to see here today, what's cool is what they do, what they're about to do is bold, and yet it's really simple. And I think we're going to be able to find things similar that we can do the same. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved, so all this food's put before him, and Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile, there's that word again, himself in this way. And see, when you read this word, like if, if you're familiar with Bible study, and you see this word defile, def that would harken back straight to the, the sacrificial system, the Levitical law. Like God was saying, hey, don't defile yourself like the other nations have done. I want you to keep my laws and keep my decrees. So to defile yourself was to not keep those laws and keep those decrees. So that's why Daniel's saying, hey, here's, here's an instance. Hey, I'm going to resolve not to defile myself with this food because part of the, Levit the Levitical law covered what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. And at times it seems really weird, like, why not eat that? And at times, like, if you know, like, knowing what we know now about bacteria and parasites and all this stuff, it's bloody brilliant. Like, seriously, pork, shellfish. I don't want you to eat those, which is really unfortunate because they're delicious. But at the time, in the ancient world, without refrigeration, pork, shellfish, that, that stuff will kill you. And so they just are like, I don't know why God doesn't want us to eat this. And God's like, I know why. I'm going to protect you. Some of the laws, 614 laws within the Levitical law, some of them make perfect sense. Some of them, the civil laws, really make a lot of sense. Some of the moral laws we still keep today. And some of them didn't make sense, but all of them, the, the, the law was, a perp the, the purpose of the law was to do two things. It was to protect God's people. Hey, you, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. If you're going to be my people, I want to protect you. So keep my law. And it's the same today with our, the laws that if you're a follower, a God follower, part of the reason, you're like, there are times where you're like, I don't want to do that law, but I submit to your will because I trust you, because I think you want good things for me. And some of you have seen that in your own life. That's, it was to protect the purpose of the law was to protect them, but it was also, of course, like we've talked about, to separate them. I don't want you to be like the other nations. Uh, you know, so that's where circumcision came from. 
I don't want you to, to, to dress like them, so don't wear these types of clothes where with like mixed threads. That's the weird, one of the weird ones to me. Like he didn't want them mixing wools, okay? <laughs> I just want you to be different. The, the rest of the world's kind of going this way, and it's pretty messy. Not you. I want you to be set apart. So Daniel said, he decided, I'm not going to defile myself in that way. But what's so interesting to me about this, I was thinking about it this week. Daniel was already defiled. For instance, it, it, it's probably years have passed. He's traveled 700 miles. He hasn't seen the temple in years. Which means he hasn't given a sacrifice at the temple, or his family hasn't given a sacrifice for him in probably years. He's unclean. Not to mention, even if they were there, like, the, like soon there's going to be no temple. <laughs> he hasn't been able to choose the clothes that he's wearing. He hasn't been able to keep the Sabbath, right? Which is one of the laws, keep the Sabbath holy. That you'll work six days, but on the seventh day, I don't want you to work. He doesn't get to choose that. He's got a whip at his back telling him when he can work and when he can rest. You see this? Daniel was already defiled at this point. So why in the world would he draw the line here? All of a sudden, nope, there's some bacon in that, so no. <laughs> I have no idea. Why that law? I have no idea. We don't know. Why not, why not the Sabbath? Why, not Dan why didn't Daniel say, you know what? I can do this, but I can't work, I can't be with you guys on the seventh day. I don't know. We don't, I don't, it doesn't seem like he did, because this, we'll find out here in a second, this ask was a big, big deal. So why this? I have a theory. I think, I believe that Daniel drew this line because he was feeling the sacred slipping away in his life. And he knew that if he didn't do something, and if he didn't do something soon, there would be nothing sacred left. And there'd be no, which means none of his, his faith would slip away. His faith might evaporate. His faith might be doomed. Because without the sacred, you become defiled. <laughs> nothing sacred. Without the sacred, nothing's different. And you're just another Babylonian that just happens to be from the other side of the continent, from, from a different place. See, what Daniel didn't know was what God was about to do through making this one little thing sacred. Verse 9. Daniel 1.9. Two words. Read them out loud. Now God. Say that, say that. Now God. God. These are the, the most powerful words. And you'll see them throughout, especially the Old Testament. Things are going bad, things are really, and then people cry out, and, and all of a sudden, now God. Now God. God steps in. The now God principle, in this case, as we're talking with, about Daniel and this this specific instance where he's like, no, I will not defile myself in this way. I don't want to eat that food. The now God principle is this, that God will inhabit 
any space that you give him in your life. If you are willing to create, what we're going to learn through Daniel is if you're willing to create space for God in your life, in your finances, in your, in, in your morality, in your relationships, in your time, any time, this is so cool, any time that you make sacred for him, the now God principle is he will fill that. He will take that. Another way of saying it is anything, this is, guys, this is so cool, anything that you or I do to give him something to work with, he will work with it. You carve out time on a regular basis to read the word, even though you, like, it's, you, you, like, the Bible's lost on me. I don't even know where to start. If you commit yourself to 15 minutes a day trying to learn more about that, and open your heart to it. You just watch God fill that up. If you commit to, to giving 10%, to tithing 10% of your money, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, just, just watch God change your, your view of money. <laughs> Students, if you commit not to cheat, at school, if, if you commit to, res, if you resolve... <laughs> Let's use Daniel's word. If you resolve to not cheat in school, just watch God build character in you that's indestructible. Just watch God give you a life where, like, I don't have to worry about what, you know, like people you know, looking behind me because I'm not in trouble. I didn't do anything wrong. If you make that sacred, you resolve to make those things sacred in your life. Watch God just fill those up. If you commit to resolve, we all know what the word resolve, I probably should have stopped there. Resolve means to commit, to decide, to say I'm not doing that or I am going to do that and I'm, I'm telling a friend. <laughs> that's, that's what for me, it's like to resolve to do something. It's like I have lots of great ideas and a lot of them I don't do because not, not all of them are good ideas actually, but like most of my ideas are bad. But like when I get a good idea, I'm like, no, I want to do this. I tell someone. That's for me, that's resolution. It's like, no, I'm resolving to do this. If you resolve to be honest, just watch God keep you, keep, just watch God fill your life and keep you from shame and guilt. If you resolve to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness, from that sin. Amen? Just give them that space. The now God principle is anything that we, God will inhabit any space that you and I give him, any activity that we commit to him, any sacrifice, any amount of time that we make sacred, he will fill. Probably the best visual I can give you for this is a river. And you know me, I love rivers, so this is perfect. Picture a big boulder in the middle of a small river. You're getting the idea of what sacred looks like. The, the, a culture, there's a current, and like, just like with the Babylonians, they were trying to make them Babylonian. I believe there's similarly, there's a culture, there's a current that'll take you somewhere in this life and in, in, in society, and in, that's no knock against society. It's just what it is. It's, there's always a current. Every culture has, ever, has always had a current. We, it, right? 
this doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Like, we look back at what other cultures did, and we say, how did they do that? It's because there was a current. There was a, there, was, there was a stream. There was a flow in that culture. And if you weren't careful, you got, you got carried away with it. To make things sacred, to, to do what Daniel did, to resolve to make something sacred is like putting a rock in the middle of that stream. That, is for, that stream is then forced to flow around it. And what's behind it? The little pocket, little eddy. And that's where God works. When we do that, when we, when we put forth that effort and we say, no, no longer will I do this. Now, maybe, maybe it's not even like, not because I believe it's sin, <laughs> but because I want to give room for God. That's when the now God moments happen. And that's what happened with Daniel. Now God. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Daniel, I like you. But the official told Daniel, I like you, but I'm afraid of my lord, the king. Remember that dude? Like, carted your whole, yeah, that guy. He's in charge of, he can do whatever he wants. I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And then he's like, here's what's on the line. The king then would have my head because of you, which is not an overstatement. Ancient kings would kill people for much less than this, and they could. Daniel said to this, still verse 11, Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, give us a chance. Test your servants for just 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. Like, like let's do a little, let's do a blind test here, right? Is that a blind test? Don't care. Let's keep going. <laughs> then, um, where am I? Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they had to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And, and this word vegetables, it wasn't like a straight vegetarian, well, it was a vegetarian diet, but it's uh, anything that came from a seed. It could be fruit, it could be vegetables, it could be um, grains, just a simpler, healthier diet that allowed him to stay kosher, that allowed him to not eat the meat. And it worked. And it worked. So today, for our Broncos party, we don't have, we're only having vegetables. That's, that's the, obviously, that's the big takeaway, right? Is like, we're all vegetarians now. No, 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 see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And nothing to do with food. It had nothing to do with even drawing a line about food. It's like, it just had to do with resolve. All it had to do with is, is making Daniel, in this case, 
He, like, made, he just made something sacred. This I won't do. It was bad enough I can't do the Sabbath. These clothes I don't like. Yeah, I don't like. I see what you're doing. I see what you're trying to do. I see sacred slipping away, so I'm going to make something sacred. And I love that it was this, because it's so small, right? It's not that big of a deal. Woohoo, such a win. We're eating vegetables now. Like, who cares? But watch this. Like, like watch what happens. Watch the now God. These four men, to these four men, verse 17, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, the king talked to them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. The Lord blessed them in this horrible situation. The Lord blessed them. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, which makes no, like, no sense to you. But what that means is Cyrus wasn't even a Babylonian. Daniel would live such a long and prosperous life, he would outlive the empire of Babylon and see the next, the Persian empire. He, and that's the story, if you've read the story of Daniel, that it, and every chapter is a new king. <laughs> and he's around giving wisdom. He's like, you probably shouldn't do that. Oh, you did. Sorry. You know, and the next king. Because the Lord was with him throughout. This is 70 years. Cyrus was 70 years after this. He lived to be a long, old man. Here's the insight. If Daniel had not, this is what I believe about this. If Daniel had not resolved not to eat meat, we wouldn't be talking about him today. We wouldn't be telling his story. I believe that that we'd still have a story to tell because God works, but it probably wouldn't be his. We'd be preaching on something else, some other book with some other name. But today, 2,600 years later, we're talking about Daniel. And it started with just one, making one small, it was one small act of making something sacred. And God's like, I'm in. Question. What's that for you? Is it possible that you're one small act of faith away from seeing God, from seeing now God? And some of you know what I'm talking about because you felt it before. You know, you have some now God stories. It'd be fun church. Maybe next week we'll just pass this around. Hey, tell me a now God. You, you, Christy and I were talking about this last night. You know what one of ours is? It's so funny. When we were first married, we didn't have a vacuum cleaner. We didn't have money. 
so we didn't have a vacuum cleaner. And, like, it didn't bother me so much, but, like, her, she's <laughs> like, this is not good. I'm like, that's not a man, you know, like. <laughs> and one day, she, and, and we, we thought about, like, going into debt over a vacuum cleaner. Like, like you know, just, just go buy one, right? Get a credit card, whatever, and just clean the house for our sanity. I said, no, like, we're not going to do that. And one day, Christy's going to throw trash. This is at an apartment uh, down in Lakewood. She's about to throw trash in a dumpster. She looks in the dumpster, and there's a, an old Hoover, like one of those steel, I'm, I'm talking like 35-pounders, steel vacuum cleaners in there. And she's like, oh, sweet, and just dumpster dives. Pulls it out, goes back into the, the, the um, apartment, say it, says a prayer, because it's in the dumpster, right? So it probably doesn't work. Plugs it in, sure enough, that thing fires right up, and she's like, she's vacuuming and crying. <laughs> and we talk about that vacuum cleaner all the time. Because since then, there's been, that, that one was easy. But since then, we've, we've made harder decisions with our finances to make things sacred. And we watch God now God, those scenarios. We put rivers in the middle, rocks in the middle of rivers and create a little space for God to work. And sure enough, he shows up. That's what he does. What's it for you? Here, here's another question for you. If you've ever wrestled with faith, like you're like I, I, intrigued by the idea of faith and you see people of faith and you're like, I wish I could have that, but it's just never been that for me. I've never felt God's presence. You're like, wait, 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 okay, slow down, time out. What have you made sacred for him? Like, like yes, maybe you grew up and you, maybe you believe in God and like, you're, like the idea, okay, great, you believe in God, but what have you made sacred? What have you, where have you cleared a space for him that he can come in and work? Or do you just kind of go through your days and do it your way and then all of a sudden when things go wrong, you're mad at God? And he's like, well... I want to be a part of your life, but I, I, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> I'm not just going to force myself in there. I want you to make space for me. I want you to make something sacred. And watch me fill it. And it might be small, but watch me do big things. Watch me do what I did with Daniel. Just one thing that led to 70 years of incredible stories. What's that for you? Where is that for you? What might be one decision that will bring blessing in, in perpetuity to your life? And I'm talking, please, I'm talking to everybody right now. I'm talking to somebody who's not been to church in a while, to somebody who's like, at church all the time, like that's for all of us, because us church people, we know things can get, like our sacred can get kind of stale sometimes, can't it? Yeah, we read the Bible, but it's not really, we're not really opening our hearts to it anymore. What do you need to do to do that? To make it sacred. To make it holy. To make it set apart. To make you different. See, if you resolve to wake up I believe that God will inhabit any space that you give him in life, any activity, any sacrifice. If you give him something to work with, he will work with it. 
you resolve to wake up early and pray and read day after day, God will meet you there. If you resolve to, if you resolve to go to church every Sunday, you will be filled. This, this space, and it doesn't even have to be here, but this space will become so sweet. And then also, you'll do that for a while, and you miss one, you're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? I, there's something wrong. Oh, I didn't go to church. <laughs> I didn't get to receive that filling. <laughs> if you resolve to give 10% of your money, watch God just work in your money. If you resolve to stay sexually pure, watch God pave the way to intimacy. If you resolve not to cheat in school, kids. If you resolve not to cheat at work, watch him build in you a character that is indestructible. If you're honest with your sin, if you, if you resolve to confess your sin, some of us, that's what we need to resolve to do today. We need to come clean. <laughs> and it's going to be hard and scary. But if you resolve to do that, he is faithful and just to purify you from that sin and all unrighteousness. That's what I want you to do. I want you to resolve to do one thing. Decide to make one thing sacred. One minute change in your life. Maybe it's not minute. Maybe it's one big change in your life. But one thing. Pull a Daniel and just see what God does. Watch now God enter your life. Let's pray. This may seem funny, but I want to sing a song, actually. Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee Take my moments and my days Let them flow in ceaseless praise Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every what's the word to choose. <laughs> Lord, would you take our lives? Would we resolve to give it to you? And then, Lord, maybe be able to step back and just watch you fill our lives. We love you, Lord. Be with us this week, this Monday, this Tuesday, this Wednesday. Give us, give us courage and boldness to do even simple things. Amen.